Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hurrah! Welcome to <laughs> the new year on our Rugby Jubbly podcast. Did you? Uh, how are you, Dan? Did you have a good, good Christmas and New Year? I had a very... You know, in keeping with government guidelines, a very quiet Christmas and New Year. And right. um, I was even in bed New Year's Eve at 10 o'clock and I was asleep by 10.15 and then woken up by 10 minutes of fireworks at 12 o'clock. Oh, I don't know God. who was doing those. God. Anyway, um, we haven't got time to waste, have we? Because no. we've, got, we've got Lewis Moody coming up on the show. Yes. This, this week, is we? we're not going to be overexcited, but he's our first super special, oh. real top ex England captain guest. I'm very excited, to, very excited to talk to him actually, because I've I've read his book in the last week. That's it's eight years old, but it is fantastic. But just to anyway. have an England an ex England captain on the show is, is a, I know. I didn't think we could. Anyway, but let's crack on. And we're also going to be doing our continue to pick the Lions team if the Lions tour is actually going to happen. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, a, a quick rundown of the games. I mean, I watch some games on Boxing Day, but I can't remember them very well. Do you do that? The, the, the week after you oh, actually God. forget the games I watched, before? I watched Bristol Harlequins. Um, yeah. I think it was on Boxing Day. And then I watched Bristol Newcastle a couple of days ago. And yeah. I'd forgotten entirely the Bristol Harlequins game. They just come yeah. so fast, one after another this time of year. I I love, can I say, I just love Bristol at the moment. Yeah. Bristol are the team I want to see. I, I, I've, uh, they're, they're always the, the match I don't miss every weekend. And the Bristol Harlequins they? game, I think it was Boxing Day, that's when they were terrible first half and Pat Lamb did a little team talk going, either get on the bus or go out on the field. And the second yeah. half, they just came out and they were fantastic. Because Harlequins um, had something to prove though, didn't they? I mean, they'd just been had a terrible time in Europe. So yeah. they were they were they were looking to bounce back, but Bristol didn't let them. But um Bristol Newcastle, that was uh that was a brilliant game because Newcastle are fantastic. To come up from the championship, that was their first loss, Newcastle, in yeah. the in the premiership. Um since they've come back and I thought they gave it a really good go they've got a really good pack um, I, I, I thought Toby Flood was about 43 Toby Flood yeah, is only I know. 35 <laughs> it's amazing isn't it rolling back the years but just a quick point about Bristol how mm. are they still under the salary cap <laughs> I don't think I did. Are you going to tell me that my second favourite team is also going to be done for the salary cap? No, like every I, team, every saying, team I show fondness I'm for. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying they've got about six world class players. I mean, like yeah. 
I don't know how. I, honestly, I, it's genuine. Could you? And after the game, uh, Bristol Newcastle, um, Dean Richards was talking about playing Bristol. He's and he and he said, um, "Well, you know, they're just full of superstars, aren't they? Bristol, they're just all stars. They're all stars." And I just thought, is he trying to say how have they got so many stars exactly. playing for them? How, exactly. I mean, I wonder how they're doing it. There must well, be a way. I don't know what. Sorry, I should go on right move. Can you not get away with paying them less in Bristol because the house prices will be cheaper than in London? I don't know. I just don't know. So basically, uh, less money goes a lot further in Bristol. I'm not. Bristol is still a very expensive area. It's not. Anyway, let's. I mean, Newcastle could. Sorry, let's not start slagging off those (laughs) low house prices. But I bet you, Newcastle, you could pay them less because your money's going to go further. You could afford a bigger house in Newcastle. I'm talking about Bristol. Yeah, and Bristol's still going to be expensive. It's just a love. It's just a lovely place to live. I like Bristol as a city. I like them as a rugby team. Obviously, then, you know, Saracens, I will always, uh, is always my first love. But just for this premiership, I'm I'm a Bristol fan. Saracens I, won't be playing till March, will they? No, no. March. And it's only going to be a few games and it's it's all going to be chaos. What are they going to do this season, Saracens? I mean, that's, like, that's weird. Not playing till March. They've got two <sighs> months. To just, imagine how frustrated they must be watching the premiership playing. Yes, well, it is that, exactly that. That I mean, actually, that that might lead us on to our next game because I finally watched an Exeter game. Thank God they got their asses kicked. Wasps were fantastic. I think wasps, you know, wasps, wasps, wasps have got a great Exeter. team. They've got a great team now. They're they're, they're, they're really starting to sing. You they know? have, and they really bullied them up front, and they really they did stop that Exeter. You know, Exeter had about three opportunities where they yeah. had a line out. You know, and, and wasps, usually would then maul it over. Wasps um, won it. Um, with with their attack as well because they look really really sharp some lovely moves and Sotowanga try at the end Sotowanga yeah mm-hmm. he's looking he's good at fullback good move for impressive. him very impressive because they they've got um, Umanga at, uh, at he looked uh, a bit rusty to me well he hadn't been playing for a while yeah, because right. they had that other young lad in that's been playing really well Charlie Atkinson two, yeah yeah so I think. That's great to see Exeter actually levelled a bit and and not because they've been so smug. Um, they are still they're still <laughs> Do you mean probably smug win by the just because they've been playing well and winning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I have a soft. I I don't have that sort of Sarri's no, hatred of all things Exeter. A lot of Sarri's fans are psychotic about them because of what the way that their coach and their management has behaved. I I think the team is. I think they've got a great team. Got some lovely players and some very nice fans as well. Um, other quick things: Gloucester Sale Sharks. You didn't see any of that, did you? I did. I saw a oh. bit of that. Um, I like the fact that uh, Sale have got a fly half called AJ McGinty, and it always like strikes me as odd. Did his parents name him AJ, or is it short for something? What do you think? Well, I think it must be that it must just. I don't know. We, why did you not look it up while watching the game? See, no, I do things I like I can't. I can't. I can't because I because if I start going on my phone and looking up stuff while I'm playing, the temptation is to not stop. Twi- you know, looking at the phone. Do you know? Do you know what I rec- realised while watching Gloucester Sale Sharks that I had a massive faux pas on our last podcast? I was talking about Duhan van der Merwe and his brother Aka van der Merwe, yeah. who's in South Africa, who's played for South Africa. And I went Aka van der Merwe. I think he plays in France or something. He's Sale. He's been at Sale for over a year. Is he? Aka van der Merwe is the Sale hooker. I know he was playing the game, and I went, oh, my God! And um, oh. no one picked me up on it because I don't think anybody, don't, nobody knows. pays enough attention. <laughs> the level of, but a lot. I mean, they are so South African Sale Sharks. They've got such South African. They've got three brothers, uh, the Dupree. I think that's how you say, it, isn't it? Dupree, Dan Dupree Dupree's was player of the match. Eight. Yeah, but yeah, did you and, see that tackle that he should have got red carded for? 
Oh, which one was that? Well, one of the Gloucester players went in to pick the ball up and he basically no arm, shoulder charge, straight to the head. And he wasn't he wasn't dealt with on the pitch, and I don't know if it's been cited, but it was pretty you know, pretty bad. See, I'm, I, I, for someone who does believe in the rules and all the rest, I do, f- I, I get, as ever, just just hearing you talk like that makes me go, you're such a snitch, Dan. I know. <laughs> That's what gone. I thought when I was saying it. It's not, like, it's, it's not like I'm the only person that's going to have noticed it and I'm grassing him up to the authorities. There should have been cited. I'm trying to keep the game safe. I'm trying to keep the game safe for the kids. I've got two small boys at my want to play rugby and I don't want them to go headlong into Dupree's and get smacked and okay, not get anything okay. any comeback. Okay, well, I, I didn't think of, I looked up these brothers, by the way, because there's there's Rob and Jean-Luc and Dan, by the way. they all playing at Sale. So isn't that weird? And yeah. they don't have any other, because I was thinking we should do this thing that I was going to do with the Barretts of trying to find a crap brother that we could interview. <laughs> there isn't a crap one. They're all really good. I'm Their sure dad... they'd want to come on the podcast and go, so you're the crap brother that <laughs> no, we'd like I, to play. But I think... <laughs> we'd like to talk to you about how shit you are at rugby and how, how terrible it must be for you with your brothers all brilliant. <laughs> no, but that would come on. It would be interesting. That would be of interesting course it psychology. Would, but you couldn't tempt someone on like that, right? <laughs> well, but they're also probably so overlooked. They might be desperate of the attention. Yeah, maybe. Have we followed done every game? So Gloucester Sale Sharks. Yeah, Sale oh. won. Sale at last got a win without Steve Diamond. Twenty-two yes. nineteen. And I, That's and, I, and I was wondering what had happened to Gloucester. Uh, I'd wondered what, what happened to Billy Twelteries at Gloucester. I thought had he been quietly moved on <laughs> or injured, and then he comes on and pushes the Sale Waterboy over the hoarding. Exactly. And they get sent off. That was that was a that was a brilliant fight at the end. I enjoyed oh, it. Was that. Good. Like I always like it when people park. from from the backstage lot get involved. Anyway, mm. so so quickly go through that. So Gloucester are in trouble. If there is going to be relegation, which they don't even know there's going to be relegation this I season. Can't imagine Gloucester, it will be. Gloucester at the moment are bottom. Uh, Bristol still beat Newcastle. Leicester Bath. That was it was that used to be a big game and it just isn't as important anymore. But it was just, a good game. It was a not good top game. Teams. It was a good close was game because Bath went way out and then Leicester wheeled them back in. So yeah. so uh, fantastic and a quick points out that those happen to be the two clubs belonging to us that our special guest this That's week right. Lewis Moody played for started yeah. at Leicester finished at Bath Right, so next we have... I've been waiting for this for weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, it's our most illustrious guest so far on the pod. He has won seven Premiership titles, two Heineken Cups. He's appeared in three World Cups, two World Cup finals, and has won a world, won one of those World Cups. He's also a former England captain. It, it is the fantastically brilliant mad dog, Lewis Moody! Yeah. <laughs> He's here. You, got, thank Lewis, you so you, much for doing this, Lewis. Do you still um, are you, do you still answer as a mad dog, Lewis? You, you, is, do people still call you that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no they, well, that just shows what, <laughs> what good friends Lewis and I yeah. are. That yeah. I when knew I, that. <laughs> when I moved when I moved down here to the West Country, we uh, so obviously spent twenty odd years playing for Leicester Tigers, and we moved down to Bath, um, and we went to the local restaurant. We actually live in Bradford on Avon now, and uh, and moved to the local restaurant and. Uh, and the guy that owned it was a chap called Mark, who's absolutely lovely. And uh, and whenever he saw me, he was like, "Mad Dog, how are you?" It was like that was my name. It was like no, no one calls me Mad Dog other than the media or people trying to wind me up. So yeah, you know, they, distant days ago. <laughs> Did you have to put him right? Did you actually say, "Please, can you just stop calling me Mad Dog now?" No, That's no. 
The only way he'll find out about that is listening to this podcast. Yeah, right. so, <laughs> which, what, which what would have been hilarious? I tell you, Lewis, what would have been hilarious is if you grabbed him by the lapel, thrown him against the wall, and go, don't ever call me call mad dog again. There's right no in reason face, to call in a me really that. aggressive. Yeah. Way. Do you think you would? Do you think you wouldn't have been so ang- angry on the field if your surname wasn't Moody? <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of that. That was Had pathetic. No, but off um, the cuff. The thing, the thing is, you're. But you are a bit of. You are quite a Jekyll and Hyde character because you were this fearsome competitor on the field. But you are—I mean, I'm from, I've obviously I've only met you a couple of times before, but but you do come across as very, very nice and mild mannered. And I was reading your autobiography, and you are quite a sensitive soul. Do you know what I mean? You've, do you think you do have a sort of on-field persona and an off-field personality? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you touched on the, I, I know, you, you know, in jest on the, on the Moody name there, but actually when I was at school, I remember sitting in the toilet one time, you know, happily uh, minding my own business, then hear a knock on the door outside and there was just this, Lewis, yes. And then about two minutes later, I heard this, Moody is Moody, Moody is. And then it, it, built, it built to a crescendo. And eventually there was like 30 people stood outside the toilet door in my house at school chanting, Moody is Moody. I mean, it's just Charles plays it, but it was really annoying at the time. I think that's where my rage came from, Hal. But um, to, to, answer, to answer your question, 100%, you know, I think... You know, there's no way I could live my life as as Mad Dog Lewis Moody, the person that was the rugby player, because you know you ha- you have to embody a sort of a, a very different, almost like a warrior mentality. You know, and and I've spoken to a number of military guys over the years, and they talk about you know leaving the compound or you know um, going out into battle, and when they leave that compound, that's where their mindset switch. And I think for sportsmen, definitely when you cross that white line. You know, I can't run around smashing people through the fruit and veg stand <laughs> in the supermarket. Um, yeah, it doesn't go down very well. But on the pitch, but, I can. Lewis, is that is that something you're like born with, or is it something you acquire, or do you, you just get used to being that competitive? Do you, is it innate? Do you think, or acquired? I, th- I think there's a mix in there, Dan. I do. I do think there's a mix. Um, as a young man, I was very competitive. Um, you know, I loved all sport. I played every sport going. I was reasonably good at most. But rugby was really where I found my sort of, you know, comfort zone, my true calling. And and yeah. I think, you know, I was always significantly bigger than most kids as well, which meant the contact element that came in at the age of five was a lot more fun for me than it probably was yeah, for them yeah, on the yeah, end of the river. Yeah. But, um, but that, that definitely you know, that sort of physical competitive nature was was what I really enjoyed. You know, I played cricket, um, but it didn't have the same sort of um, yeah. euphoria for me. So that that physical outlet was what I needed. And that's probably what I've struggled with most since retiring. But, I was um, going to was, ask, I mean, how, how do you deal with that? I mean, you're smashing people on a weekly basis. And then, as you say, you can't just go into Tesco's and chuck someone through the window, can you? I mean, where does it where does it go? How do you deal with it? Uh, you have to send them an email first, don't you? In these these current stages, for now. Uh, <laughs> I suggest uh, going on Twitter. By the way, I find that's a huge rage outlet. Go yeah. and become a troll oh. on Twitter. Oh, it's brilliant. Do I find that worse. I, f- I find that I worse. A, I f- oh, no, I, yeah. had a, I had a go at. No, thing is, it is so interesting. You talking about the warrior mentality because I there's part of me and I'm damned. I don't think he's like that. But I, I've been searching all my life to gain a warrior mentality, <laughs> and I've never found it. So I'm completely in awe. I'd love to be saying I have to control my physical, 
violent thing because I just uh, I just don't. Yeah, no, I had a go at Nigel Farage this morning, and it's just fun to go on Twitter and just um, just get it, get your rage out there. Um, you see, you see, see his rage come, you know, building up. And that's the thing, I suppose that's that's the thing that you struggle with. You know, Dan, you said about how do you control that now, and actually, I yeah. think it's really difficult because you know the people that. You do need, I still need an outlet for that physical competitive nature that I can no longer get from playing and tackling people and throwing myself around and cajoling my mates to do better and go further and push ourselves harder. You know, that just doesn't happen. I work with my wife now, at, you know, from home, uh, as, so I was quite used to this current situation. Um, <laughs> but if you don't find an outlet for it, it, it rears its head in you know, unpleasant ways, you know, you'll get frustrated yeah. unnecessarily with the kids, you know, you argue with the wife. So finding an outlet for me has been taking on challenging, doing marathons, you know, right. ultra marathons, various different things. So there has to be an outlet, but, but nothing like, you know, does it, does it, does it just become, does it just become like a personal journey of how can I push myself further and further? Cause I know a lot of you ex rugby players seem to have taken up cycling. There's loads of like, like Lawrence Delalio, I think Martin Johnson, they're all like doing these massive cycles with Will Car Everyone's got what bikes. I just think, is it like just a, just an idea of like pushing yourself physically to the limit just to get rid of this stuff that's in you? I think so. And you know, just the, you need, you need, a physical something to focus on you know so for Jono you know he was such a competitor um seeing how he's approached his cycling you know is you know it's very processed you know he's got the he goes out and researches the bikes and you know training is regimented and all that you know I'm very Great. impulsive I'm not like yeah. that I'm like if I want to go to a bike club but right let's get the light have I got any lycra oh, okay I need to you know yeah, get yeah, some yeah. stuff yeah. whereas cool. you know so, yeah, certainly him and Lawrence uh, you know have really taken to it for me anything really but cycling and and donning your your cycling shoes and having to understand how to change your tire and change your wheel and all that stuff gets a bit um gets a bit frustrating i'd rather just put on a pair of shoes and go for a run mm, mm. <laughs> i wonder if rugby players look for trouble on bikes as well deliberately block <laughs> yeah. cars just to have the confrontation element yeah. just to get the physical talking about martin johnson because i <laughs> this is a pathetic name drop i ran into me and my wife he was in a service station on the motorway and he walked in and i stood and just stared at him i've never met him and he just went what and I went, sorry, I just didn't realise it was you. Went, oh, okay. And I was too frightened to even go, could I possibly have a photo or anything? It was just pathetic. You wrote something in your book that I think it's probably the campest line of your book, I would say. You described Martin Johnson as he was and in many ways remains my captain, <laughs> which I just oh, think. No, it's, no I, I know it was a long time ago, Lewis. I just thought it was a lovely yeah. line. But is he as... I, he's so there's something about him that's physically so imposing did you find him quite a frightening man to deal with you find him quite old I mean I know you're quite close to him aren't you so yeah, probably well, not yeah I know you know I think rugby's a weird, any sport's a weird thing once you sort of split from the playing team you you, you don't tend to see a huge amount of each other so I see Giono very rarely but no I had a right. had a huge amount of respect for him and as a young man as like an 18 year old coming into the squad at the Tigers you know I was terrified of him and Richard Cockrell and Graham Roundtree and all these Dean Richards Rory Underwood well maybe not Rory Underwood but yeah, certainly the forwards <laughs> and um, and Giono and, and as, I, as I went through my career Giono was just this this character that you you know you talked about that sort of camp line how I, I actually describe Jono probably in a much more 
in a much better camper way. There was a film called um, with Jack Nicholson called "As Good as It Gets." I always forget it. And um, in it, there is a line, and this is this is a great example of how John O made you feel as a teammate. There's a line that Jack Nicholson gives gives to the the lady he's trying to impress, and it is it goes something like, um, "You make me want to be a better man." And now I'm not using that line. For John, I'm not saying he wants me to be a better man, but he made me want to be a better player because I wanted to be on the pitch with him. And, you know, he set such unbelievable standards, you know, and he was so humble. Yes, he could be a cantankerous old git and, you know, fairly miserable human being. But to be with in a team, he was so loyal, so passionate, absolutely devoted to what he wanted to achieve and, and achieving it together. And his accountability for me was what stood him apart, was that whereas a number of the senior professionals that, you know, were part of those squads when I was younger, sometimes found it hard to put their hands up in, or, or accept any form of accountability or, or that they had any weaknesses. If Jono made a mistake and we were watching a video, he'd be like, Chaps, that was yeah. shocking. I'm not, that won't happen again. I'll sort it out next time. And he just, yeah, he was a he was a proper inspiration. And you know the challenges he's had um, since playing, I think, have been a frustration for me as an old teammate. But because he was a great coach as well, we had him in 2011. Obviously, from eight, yeah. eight to 11. Um, but it's great to see him now back on the screens, you know, commentating and yeah. imparting his wisdom yeah. and his grumpiness. Because he, he was your he was your manager as well, wasn't he, Lewis? Like the England manager. For, yeah. for for New Zealand when you were captain, he was yeah. So Jono took over in two thousand and eight. I want to say yeah. And um, and he actually his first role as manager was to was to tell me I wasn't going to be a part of the the, the side <laughs> to tour uh, Argentina. And uh, you know that was that was pretty hard to take from an old mate. But you yeah. know you, you do take it. It was the decision he had to come to. Um, and, well, is that because yeah. you just you weren't um, you just weren't part of his plans at that moment, or you were injured, yeah, or, or yeah, both? I'd re- I was recovering from an injury, but I wasn't playing well enough. And you know, you c- thankfully, John, I didn't let you know old sort of sentiments or whatever get in the way, and he, he made the right decision because you know at the time I, I wasn't. <coughs> yeah, and he so, knew uh, that would bring out the competitive in- instinct in you to fight for your place to get you back in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, things changed, right? In 2009 and 10 were good years for me. Um, and in 2010, he, you know, having gone from that, and actually, so two two years into his tenure, um, I got I got dropped for the second time in my career from, from the England team, from being a starter. So I was on the bench for a long time when I first broke in. Um, and I got dropped for the Scotland game, which was Ben Young's first start, actually. And... Uh, and, I, and weirdly, so how things can change in sport, you know, so I'd come back in after being dropped by Jono initially, then come back into the side, then get dropped for the for the Scotland game. The following week, Steve Borthwick, who was the England captain at the time, took up a, got a knee injury. And uh, and Jono came to me and said, mate, look, if, if Steve doesn't recover from the knee injury, we'll know, we'll be doing a fitness test on Wednesday, then you'll be captain. And so I went from wow. being dropped the following week to, so I wasn't good enough the previous week to, <laughs> to all of a sudden to being captain. captain. I, I was, sorry, this, is, this just shows how, how little, by the way, of a team player I am and how self-sensed I am. But you, <laughs> talking about you being captain, at the end of the, in 2011, 
and do you see that World Cup was seen as a big disaster? Or you, uh, certainly, uh, you know, you've you've talked about it as though oh, it was a terrible disaster. We went out in the quarterfinal to France. Um, in a way, though, comp- were you not slightly relieved that 2015 was an even bigger disaster, <laughs> and that it made you look so? You just went out. You, you didn't lose a terror. You didn't. You didn't not you didn't get out the Wales. group. Perfectly respectable to lose to France in the quarterfinal in 2011. They made the final that year. Um, I just think, did you not get a little like, oh, brilliant? I mean, <laughs> I'm just going this because 2011 wasn't a disaster. It was just a, it was you know, it was a yeah. We went out quarterfinals and it you know it wasn't such a big year. But I think um, with 2015, it just shows how hard World Cups can be. I think you were yeah. sort of, you know. I, well, there's there's two there's two parts to that Hal. It, it was a disaster because we allowed the media um, and our own actions, you know, off field to derail us as a squad, and that was the most enormously disappointing part of it for me. And I was the captain at that point, right? And and Jono was the coach, and um, and we had to hold our hands up and go, okay, look, you know, we've tried. It's not like we didn't try. It's not like we brought this on. You know, the you know the incident in um, Queensland. Queenstown sorry happened and you know as World Cup sides do you prepare an evening off you have three months sort of building up to a World Cup and you invariably during the course of a World Cup plan an evening where you can switch off a little bit um, and relax and, and that was that evening and you know obviously things one thing led to another and a few of the lads got themselves in a difficult situation which meant that the media grabbed it and they ran with it and then anything else that happened after that moment just kept escalating it. So, you know, from a playing point of view, it was disappointing because we allowed we allowed stuff that wasn't related to us playing the game to disrupt, you know, disrupt mm. our, our playing ability and getting to that did it have, final. Did it have a did it have a um, an impact on the pitch? Do you think, Lewis, the stuff that was going on, like a hundred percent, hundred percent, did it? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the incident, you know, as a captain and a coach, what you want to do is focus on the playing. And, you know, firstly, as a captain, your own playing, right? Make sure I'm playing as well as I can. I was recovering from an injury. But all we spent our time doing was dealing with, you know, one media issue after, when I say media issue, something related to the squad or a player every evening instead of sitting down analysing teams. And, you know, it was a, it was a really, yeah. mate, it was a really tough period of time. And, it was tough for me as a, as captain to, you know, to be going through. I was a relatively new captain as well. I'd only been doing it for a year or so. Um, and it was disappointing. And, you know, we've always held our hands up and said, you know, it shouldn't have happened. I think if we look back, the, the things we would have changed are, you know, what I liked when Stuart Lancaster took over. Yes, he had the enormous disappointment of 2015, Hal, as you said, and not making it out of a pool stage for the first time in in English history, which is really destroying. But Stuart did implement some really good stuff. And, you know, he was very extreme in the way that he did it. But I think, you know, myself and Jono probably would have cracked down harder on the little incidents that happened prior to the World Cup because, you know, the wins that we had building up to 2011, you know, we beat Australia in Australia for only the third time in our history. We won the Six Nations in whatever it was. Um, they sort of papered over the cracks and, and if we went back that's probably what we changed but in answer to your question how 2015 it did give me a little bit of a smile yeah because we were taking so, <laughs> so much I, flack I, I, I do also think without because I'm I'm a big one for, being, for feeling that the English get far too put upon and our producer John is Welsh so I need to say it for him but um, but <laughs> I do think it was because it was the England side are waiting to be, you know, people are waiting to destroy the English side. They're waiting to see anything that smacks of arrogance or, or you know, oh, they can do this, they can get away with that. There's a, there's that whole thing of being the England team 
the the pre- there's so much more hatred aimed at you. Um, and I don't know how how much that bother players. I mean, I know some players quite like it, don't they? The fact that everybody wants to beat England. I'd, I mean, as a fan and, you know, for somebody who's not played the game since uh, I was 16, uh, a serious injury took me out, Lewis. Uh, but but, um, <laughs> but it, it really bothers me. It really, I, I hate the fact that everybody dislikes England so much. And I know it's sort of a compliment, but do you, does it, did it get on your nerves or do you quite, did you quite enjoy being the target of everybody's hatred? I, th- I think being a competitor, I, I quite I quite enjoyed it because it just made it easier to to dislike the opposition, um, and and want to get one up on the opposition. And you know Warren Gatland, the you know the, the Welsh coach for so many brilliant years, he was he was wonderful at it. Right, he would throw sort of verbal mm. grenades out into the media to rile everyone, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, and it often worked. You know, for sometimes for the positive for him, sometimes for the negative for him, because the opposition or people like me would would take it and, and run with it and, and put it into a performance. But no, you know, I, how one of the, one of the things you really enjoy and you get to learn during your career is you, you, you sort of build this innate hatred for the opposition. Well, I did as a forward anyway. And, and you really want to tear lumps out of them and prove you are physically better, more capable, stronger, dominant than, than they are, whether it's your individual opposite opponent or the team. And, as you as you sort of go on through your career and you meet the guys that you play against and you have the chance to have a beer with them afterwards, you actually realise that they are similar beasts to you. They have the same work rate, the same ethic, the same desire to win. And it's only when you get to go on a Lions tour that you that you fully appreciate that. So when when the media when it comes back to Six Nations, having you know met the guys and and people throw stuff out there like that like Gats used to do or Eddie Jones is quite good at doing it now as well yeah, yeah. Um, it just used to help I used to love it I used to love it because it gave me another reason to smash 10 bells out of someone else right and, and sometimes I'd come off worse because um, I'd throw myself in with with fairly reckless abandon but um, but not always yeah. Lewis what's it what is it a lot of um, like professional sports people and you know, big international players describe winning as more of a relief than an, an actual sort of elation. Um, I think a lot, lots of people said that about the World Cup, that it was actually a relief when you won the 2003 World Cup because of all everything that had gone before and the build-up and how good you'd been for so long. Um, is, that a, is, is that how it feels when you win like a Heineken Cup or is it, is it relief or is it just pure elation? What I mean, what's the how, how does it? What is it? What's you know, it like? I think, I think it. I think it varies across the. You know, with your club side, because you spend so much time together, you you know how good you are. Um, you know, and, and with Leicester through the the late nineties and early two thousands, when we were so dominant, you know, we had four years unbeaten at Welford Road, Tigers home. Um, you know, and, and we won four back-to-back premierships, two back-to-back Heineken. All that we actually approached every game. You know, you, you just never felt like you'd lose. It was not like yeah. uh, there was relief or anything because it was like it was the norm. Um, and it was only you know the World Cup probably for me gave me the biggest sense of as you're talking about relief because it was so big and so important. We'd you know. As that Leicester side, and he had Wasps with Lawrence Delalio and Matt Dawson, all those guys around at the time. Saracens were building gradually with Richard Hill and Kieran Bracken and the like. But we had been so used to 
to winning as a Tigers team that you had such a nucleus of Tigers players in there that I think it, it really it really helped that World Cup side. Um, but it, the World Cup was the first time I felt real pressure. I remember looking in the mirror the night before the World Cup final and feeling really nervous. You know, I, I would get anxious and nervous before a game anyway. But I remember looking in the mirror and thinking, oh, my God, actually, for the first time, I was actually starting to think about, OK, there's millions and millions of people watching this game tomorrow. Yeah. I'm, I'm 24. <laughs> I'm fairly erratic on the pitch, you know, can be prone to giving away a penalty or two, going into the biggest game of our lives. Could I be the person that gives away, um, you know, a penalty yeah. that costs him the World Cup? And you go through all those thoughts. And that's why I think when you get to the big stage is... It's the work that you've put in before that really matters ultimately, you know, the, the time that you've put in and then just being able to deliver on the day. And, and that's what happened for us. You know, we got to that last minute and there felt there was no nerves when we were on the pitch. It was the norm, but the nerves are realised when the whistle blows and the pressure is released. And that's why it's euphoric is because you, you forget how much pressure you're under because you're in a bubble and you're just working, 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 working to this one singular goal. Yeah. I, I, I find that really refreshing though, because there was also something um, something in the book where you said that, where you said when you were sitting on the bench waiting to go on, or um, you were actually you were going, oh Christ, what if I go on and mess this up? And you know, in the in the final, and um, and I think that's exactly how I'd feel. I was I was talking to Dan about this, going, my <laughs> yeah. dream is to go on a Lions tour as a player, but not get picked and not having to play at all, which I think is what, yeah. But, you know, it's, I just, I love the fact that you're honest enough to go, I mean, was there, were you actually slightly sitting on the bench in that final going, Please I don't, don't I mean, you sort of, you sort of know you have to go on, you know, you know, you want to really, but deep down you're going, what if I go on and mess this up and lose us the World Cup final? It's a disaster. I mean, it's, I, I just love that honesty because I always thought all sportsmen were like, I always want to play. I always want to play. And I think if we're honest, most human beings have a part of them going, I might mess this up, you know. How yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. And uh, I think that's why sport's so brilliant, right? Because you are, you are under such scrutiny that if you don't have some doubts, you're just not human. But it's how you deal with those doubts. And, you know, for... For an elite sportsman and, you know, and a, and a good one that I was at the time and a competitive individual, I don't sit on the bench or I don't, you know, I, I know I'm good enough to be there and I want the ability, I want the chance to go out and prove that I'm good enough to be there. And so talking about that comment in the book, Hal, and the, and the, the World Cup final itself, from the moment the game started, all I wanted to do was be on the pitch. And I can say that honestly, I felt genuinely that I could make a difference. I'd, I'd played well in all the games I'd had during the World Cup. I'd started, um, you know, the, the quarterfinal, uh, the game against South Africa that was a pivotal match and, and a number of, and played really well. And I was disappointed not to be starting the semi or the final, but so I knew I could make a difference. But then genuinely as the game ran on and it was so close, we were actually so much better than Australia on the night, but, you know, various things happened that you know that, the referee that, was dreadful wasn't he really uh, everybody uh, forgets the referee was messing up all the the scrum penalties it should never have been that close should it well it shouldn't have but but you, you know you can't blame Andre ultimately you know Benny Kay dropped the ball over the line we had numerous other incidents you know Jono and uh, Lawrence I think it was that gave away the penalty where Elton Flatley ultimately shot to, to bring them level with a minute and a half to go you know all those things they were in our hands we were surely that's just really. pressure Lewis that's just pressure, isn't it? Like yeah, the final just, of the World Cup. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's the God. I think it's it's the nature of the game, Dan, isn't it? It is pressure. You're right. People make mistakes. You know, I'm sure. You know, maybe in Ben's head as he was about to catch that ball, Hal, as you said, was, "Oh my God, I hope I catch this." Mm. <laughs> and then, 
you know, the, <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. the, the disappointment when you realise you haven't. I mean, and I can 100% say that as, as a sportsman, certainly in my case, that you go through that array of emotions and you sit on the bench believing you should be on the pitch and you should be starting because you're good enough to be there and you can make a difference. But then you also go through, and I know when it got to um, towards the end of the full time and then injury time, I was sat there thinking, you know, I could, do I want to go on now? Do I want to be there? I was so nervous all of a sudden. I was like, it was like the gremlins literally crawling out the back of your neck and trying to get into your brain to, mm. to eat away at your confidence. And then, you know, I, I don't know whether I, whether I wrote this or not, but Clive, Clive was on the, near the sideline. He came over whilst I'm dealing with these sort of negative thoughts and how trying to repress them. And he came over and, and he was like, mate, you're ready to go. I was like, yeah, 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 of course. You know, you'd never say you weren't. And, um, no. and, and he was like, okay, good, good. Don't worry. Don't worry. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Whatever you do, don't give away any bloody penalties. They're all right. And that was literally, <laughs> so, and that was all I'd been worrying about in my head. I was like, do I want to be the person that gives away a penalty? And Clive came over and, uh, and actually it, you know, it, it didn't matter. He just wanted to, he wanted to get his, nervousness off he wanted to make sure I was calm enough in the head and actually when I went on the first ball landed in my hands and as a as a sportsman that's all you can want you just want to get into the game straight away and the rest you know the rest just played out perfectly thankfully is it true did I read somewhere when he actually when when um, Johnny Wilkinson took the drop goal that you were you weren't in that you were in space or something there was did I read that wrong that you you thought you could have scored a try oh mate I was ready <laughs> at that oh, moment. the World Cup I should have been Johnny <laughs> Wilkinson weren't you in that ruck on the ground weren't you no, in the or, no no so oh. so I'll give you some I'll give you I'll give you a little bit of nausea rugby stuff from uh, you know some yeah. detail that we had so mm. in the in the preparation to that World Cup. We knew we were the best side in the world, and that had been our intention since '99 to make sure we were in that position. And we built to it the fittest and the best prepared and number one side in the world. And we were that going into the World Cup. So the coaches then went away and looked at all the different variants that it would take to win a World Cup or a you know American yeah, NFL Super Bowl, you know cricket World Cup, football World Cup, and invariably it came down to sort of the last minute or the last couple of plays. So we spent months at the end of every session just tagging on 10 minutes of rehearsing different outcomes of being in a World Cup final and what we'd need to win. You know, and obviously one of them included kicking a drop goal and how we get Johnny in that position. So mm. when, uh, when that whole final happened in the last minute and a half and I said there wasn't any pressure, you know, generally there wasn't. Jono and Lawrence gave away that penalty. They came under the post and said, right, lads, zigzag, we'll go straight into kick the ball along and we'll get Johnny in a position. And and that was it. We knew exactly what we'd do. There was no nerves. And from that line out, so the kick to touch, I caught the ball, went to Matt Dawson. From that line out, my role was to hold the width on the right-hand side of the pitch. So... Everyone in the world knew that we were going to try and get Johnny Wilkinson in a position to kick a drop goal. Even the Aussies knew that we were going to try and do that. Right. So if the defence from the Australians gets so tight that it allows for space on the right-hand side, then I would be Johnny's you know, get-out um, to score in the corner because there'd be space because they all congest. And, and actually what happened when that breakdown, when that ruck, when Matt Dawson made that break and you know, uh, Neil back passed it to Jono, mm. actually at that point, there was space on the right-hand side, mate. So you're exactly right. And I was there 
like there's a 24 year old <laughs> trying to communicate with Johnny as best I could so 50 meters away Johnny I'm on I'm on this is my moment of World Cup oh, glory mate get me the ball get me the ball I was probably the only so person cool. who, who yeah who thought he was selfish for kicking a drop goal <laughs> No, no, I didn't really. I, do you know what? Again, Hal, oh. I actually thought, I actually thought I was calling for it. So I knew the opportunity was on for that crossfield kick and I was calling for it. And in my head, mm. I was thinking, oh Christ, actually, if he does kick it, I've got to, I've got to actually genuinely catch this. <laughs> so it's such a weird, you know, it's such a weird game playing sport, but it, but moments like that make it, make it so enjoyable. And it's the pressure that makes it so enjoyable. It's recognizing you are under so much pressure for so long that makes the final whistle so enjoyable. Lewis, you, I, oh. Sorry, I just think I love that comparison, though. The thing, that, that tension between being desperate to be part of it and also terrified you'll mess it up. It's exa- I, I was moaning yeah, to a friend. Conflict. I shouldn't have been moaning. I, I think it was a live at the Apollo performance. It was exactly the same thing where I said, oh, God, I'm really nervous. He went, would you rather not be doing it? I went, oh, no, 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 I'd rather still be doing it. And that's the thing, isn't it? You, draw, you go through the thing of going, I'd rather, you know, I'm terrified of being in that position, but I'd rather be in that position than not be in that position. And do you know, Hal, do you know you what? Know? The, the one thing, the things that I've done since playing that have given me a similar degree of satisfaction have been anything, you know, like being on stage. You know, something's out of my comfort zone to some degree. But, you know, when you get it right, yeah. actually it makes you feel so good. And in fact, you know, I felt sick being on stage talking about stuff in the past or giving speeches or whatever prior to it. But actually when you're in it and when you get through it, there is a similar element to that final whistle going. Um, I don't think I'm going to be yeah. a stand-up comic, mate. You don't need to worry about me <laughs> coming in and taking over. But it was, it was interesting for me to experience. So... This interview with Lewis Moody is going so brilliantly well and it's so interesting and so in-depth that we decided to split it into two parts. So part one will be this week and then part two will be next week. Um, So tune in again for the conclusion of this brilliant interview. Okay. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So we should just quickly do our building the Lions team for a tour that may not happen. Yes, exactly. And we are on to centres, okay? Yeah. So, um, thoughts? 
I think centre is a real... I think the Six Nations is going to be hugely important because I think centre, everything's up for grabs. What's wrong Maybe. with... Too, is it Tuolangi or Tuolangi, by the way? I've still not sorted it in my mind. I think it's Tuolangi. Um, he's... Yeah. I, don't know what, I don't know what the injury is, but he's injured. He's... Uh, so, I mean, shoulder? I, I don't know. I think, Achilles. I think, I think it's Achilles. Okay. If he gets back to form, it's he's him. definitely in. Definitely. And I and I think I think it's him and Owen Farrell at centre. Possibly. Or Henry Slater. I mean, we're being so English here, but I don't think... I know, but you can't look beyond the rows for the, for the centre berth, I don't think. I, I think you're I think you're right. I think in terms I do think you know, Henry Slade, Owen Farrell, Manitou Alangi, um Elliot Daly could be used as a centre because he's mm. kind of do you know what I mean? I think if you were starting like starting a Lions match and you had two names on the on the on the team sheet, I think it would be Owen Farrell and Manu Tuolangi. I, I hate being really English orientated on this, but I don't know why the Irish go on so much about Gary Ringrose, Robbie Henshaw. I I don't think they're that because, special. Bundiaki mm, mm, is good. another Tuolangi style. Um, he hasn't got the you know, power, hard though. guy. He's a, yeah, and he's. I think he's going to make an impact. But um, I don't. I don't. Yeah, Irish. Please, can we have more Irish mm. listeners? Somebody explain to me why Gary Ringrose and Robbie Henshaw are that special. Yeah, well, Isn't I it mean, just it, that it, you once Jonathan... produced a centre so good in Brian O'Driscoll that yeah. you think your centres are better than they actually are? That's yeah. my controversial point. Sorry, if Jonathan Davis. Is fit, he he could he could slot in there. But I think in terms of like team, um, you know, sort of fluidity. I mean, Owen and Manu is is great combination. Can I say sorry? That is ridiculous that we didn't mention Jonathan Davis. He was the player of the tour, wasn't he, in twenty seventeen? Yeah, but he has been injured, and he has. He's just he's he not been the same player. No, he can't. He hasn't he hasn't brought it yet. But he, I'm sure he will. Let's hope so. If Can if I- it even goes ahead. Yes, and can I? And in terms of other Welshmen, Owen Watkin doesn't do a lot wrong. He's good. And your Nick, man T- Tomkins. Nick, Nick Tomkins is. Uh, yeah, he's quite. Rough, he's at the but start of his international journey. Yeah, I think he's going to be something. Um, mm. So I do think they're they're the coming team Wales. But I, you know, in in terms of centres, uh, Scott. I've always liked Sam Johnson, Scotsman. Well, he's not Scott. He's a New Zealander. Yeah, uh, who's yeah, yeah. Scotsman. Yeah. Um, and. Duncan Taylor as well because he's a Saris. But I just think we're looking... Oh, also, we've forgotten Jonathan Joseph, Ollie Lawrence coming I know, through. I but I just think... Jonathan Joseph is a, is a bench player, I think. Mm. I mean, God, what do I know? But Jesus, that's, that's you know... If we're I, speculating, I would say heavy, I, I would say he was a bench player. I think He can so, cover quite a few positions on the back line. Yeah, that's true. But I, I just think centre is really difficult... I think centre is one of the most difficult things and to do. And also, pick you're playing South Africa and you just literally you want defensive muscle and bulk in the centres with, with the ability to break over the gain line. Yeah. And that's Manu and Owen. So you've got you you are you are quite bad at being a sort of English narrow-minded. <laughs> well, only, I think only I'm a bit hard for fullback and Johnny May, and I left the other one to you. That's true, but you're going to end up. I know you're going to end up with about ten England players in yeah, this line, starting lines fifteen, which is a little bit. It's typical English arrogance. It's not good for tour. It's not good for a tour. It's not good for touring. No. But if you have it in this country, then maybe that's no, no bad thing. But I do think, honestly, I do think it's an important point. I want to hear more from uh, Irish people, please, about people like everybody talks. Gary Ringrose, Robbie Henshaw. I don't know why they're so special. 
If you want to get in touch with us, uh, the email is rugbyjubbly at dltentertainment.com. Uh, Twitter is at jubblyrugby, the other way around. Instagram at rugbyjubblypodcast. That's not confusing at all, is it? What a brilliant first pod back that was, Dan. Absolutely sensational. And big thanks to Lewis Moody for part one of our wonderful interview. Yes. Um, I just, I was just unbelievable to listen to him speak. It's so, I, I just didn't want to ask any questions. I just wanted to let him talk. I don't, I don't know. If we're, we're slightly too fawning, I, f- I feel. Don't you? You don't want to... I am a bit I'll, fawning, but I don't care. You know, just, it's, it's like, you know... It's a world away from my own, and I'm just happy to fawn. I'm happy. To I feel fawn. all warm inside, having spoken yeah, to him. I, I feel like a better well. person. I feel better. And next week, of course. Oh, can I make a very quick prediction as well about next week? Yes. Wasps having beaten Exeter. I, I, however much I love Bristol, they are going to get hammered next week hammered. at Sandy Park. Hammered. No, not hammered drunk. They're going to be hammered by no, Exeter. I know what you mean. Exeter are going to thrash Bristol. This is my prediction. 40 points plus. Just want to make a well prediction. Put it out there. And then I, will, okay. I hope I'm so wrong. But Exeter will get such a rocket put up them after their performance against Wasps. Exeter are going to smack. That's my prediction for next week. Exeter, I love you, Bristol. You're my favourite team in the Premiership. But Exeter are going to destroy you next week and break wow. all our hearts. Anyway, um... Thank you, Dan, for being uh, to, yes, for, for being so fantastic and staying four minutes past the time you said you were going to for this part. And thank you, Hal. Wonderful <laughs> once again. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.